0: Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we
1: discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. This is Dr. Michael Delgado. I am part of Good Dog's health standards and research team and your host at the Good Dog Pod. Today, we have a very special guest. Dr. Adam Boyko from Embark Veterinary. Dr. Adam Boyko is an associate professor in biomedical sciences at the Cornell University College of Veterinary Medicine focused on the genomic investigation of dogs. He's also the co-founder and chief science officer at Embark Veterinary, one of the most well-known sources for direct-to-consumer genetic testing for dogs. His research has addressed questions related to dog evolution, canine health, and advancing genomic tools for canine research, while also advancing the technology available to dog owners and breeders. Adam has co-authored over 60 peer-reviewed scientific papers in many highly regarded scientific journals, such as Nature and Science. Basically, he knows a lot about dog genetics. We've invited Dr. Boyko to the Good Dog Pod today to tell us about some new research that Embark recently published, discovering a genetic mutation related to hearing loss in Rhodesian Ridgebacks. Dr. Boyko, welcome to the Good Dog Pod.
0: Thanks. Thanks so much, Mikhail.
1: So, Let's just jump right in. You all were recently involved in a new publication. And we know research usually begins with a question. And in this case, there was a previously identified association between Rhodesian Ridgebacks and what is known as early onset adult deafness. This was observed in a few different populations of Rhodesian Ridgebacks in different areas of the world. So it wasn't just like kind of one little bottleneck. So can you maybe just tell us a little bit about what the presentation of these dogs was like When would they start showing signs of deafness? Would this be in one ear, both ears? Like, what was the presentation of this condition?
0: So, the presentation was a bilateral deafness, usually early adults, so about one to two years old, these dogs would start to show this deafness. And that can really impact the quality of life, you know, particularly if the dog is needed to do working where it needs to be able to hear. So, and the training you're going to do with a dog that you know is going to become deaf is going to be different than the training you do for your typical dog. And so, it was the Ridgeback community was very proactive about identifying the fact that this disorder was happening, studying pedigrees, mm-hmm. they inferred an autosomal recessive mode of inheritance, and in fact, had been sponsoring research for over a decade into this disorder. So before That's you know, amazing. Mark even was founded and I started my position at Cornell or any of that, they were collecting samples, trying to identify whether there was any region of the genome that was responsible for this deafness.
1: Okay. Then Embark got involved. And because there was this known association, so it sounds like, yeah, there was a pretty good knowledge base you're starting from, but not kind of the molecular basis, right? So that's kind of where it sounds like your team stepped in, looking to find a genetic relationship using a method called GWAS, which is short for Genome-Wide Association Study. So first of all, can you just briefly tell us how GWAS works?
0: So the way GWAS works in a study like this is that you take all of the individuals that are controls, so normal hearing from the same population, so Ridgebacks and all the individuals that are cases. And these are two populations that you're comparing and you're going across the genome. So, you know, in the case of, the research arrays that these were originally run on, it was 170,000 markers, of which about 100,000 of them were segregating or were variable within Rhodesian Ridgebacks. And you can ask, do any of these 100,000 markers differ between our population of cases and our population of controls? And so they had originally identified a region on chromosome 18, where some of the markers did differ. So dogs that were deaf were more likely to have this copy of the gene versus that copy of the gene.
1: Okay. So kind of narrowed it down a little bit.
0: They narrowed it down. So basically it's finding the zip code of the genome. Okay. You're not looking at the entire genome. You're just looking at known places in the genome. And then you're seeing if any of them actually differ between the two populations.
1: I love the zip code analogy. I think that makes it because now you're you're trying to find the street address, right? Right.
0: Right. And so now you want to find the street address. So now you really need to like Google car, street view, (laughs) through and like look at everything. And that's whole genome sequencing. And they actually had funding years ago to do a whole genome sequence. And they did that for an affected dog and did not identify any mutations in that dog in that region that were different from the other genomes of dogs that were known at the time. Okay. So the project was sort of stuck. Now they could offer what's called a linkage test. Well, this marker is predictive. So they had a set of four or five markers that were somewhat predictive in Ridgebacks about whether this dog was a carrier, likely a carrier or not. Mm. And so you could avoid breeding two likely carriers together, but you still didn't really know what the genetic basis is. And so because of that, you know there's going to be some error in a linkage test because the genetic variant might not always be linked. And so that's kind of when Embark popped in. And so you know, all of this work had been done. They couldn't come up with a mutation. And so the first thing we did was we tried to recruit more Deaf dogs and hearing dogs. We had a growing database of Rhodesian Ridgebacks. We could contact the owners. We could see who did bear testing, who reported deafness problems, all of that. And so we had a larger case control study. I think it was about two dozen cases and 150, 160 control hearing dogs. And sure enough, we could replicate that on chromosome 18. And we have a denser array at this point, about 230,000 markers that we found this signal. And we could actually look at the specific haplotype that was being tested for before and be like, yes, so this haplotype is much more frequent in the deaf dogs. But we're also seeing that haplotype in about 1% of all the dogs, right? Even though this kind of deafness should just be in Rhodesian Ridgebacks. And we are seeing that set of markers more commonly in Rhodesian Ridgebacks. But we also see it in like Corgis. There's some corgis that have that, and we've never heard of reports of an early onset adult deafness in corgis. So this gave us another way to do the study. So first of all, we could use newer sequencing technologies, and there were better reference genomes available too because of these newer sequencing technologies. So we've sequenced another defridge back using these like longer reads that improve mapping, particularly in complicated genomic regions. And we also looked and we saw that there was this gene EPS8L2 that was right in that association block that we were seeing. Okay. It was in the zip code.
1: Okay. We're still on chromosome 18.
0: We're still on chromosome 18. We're still in this zip code. And here is a gene that has been reported where there have been one or two mutations in humans that Mm -hmm. have caused autosomal recessive early adult onset deafness. Oh, interesting. Okay. So this sounds really good. Yeah. And why didn't we see a mutation in the original sequence data? Well, it turns out it's a complicated region of the genome, and this is getting a little nerdy. It's also a high (laughs) GC. So the letters G and C appear way more often, and this makes it harder for the sequencing technology to kind of work in that region. And so you had these gaps in the reference genome. You weren't getting reads lining up right. We actually had to go through in what I would call old school, do directed sequencing of every known or inferred piece of this gene, which we thought was important. And it was doing that old school sequencing that we identified a 12 base pair deletion that we found in the Ridgebacks that had this risk haplotype.
1: Okay, so just to stop you there, because you talked about base pair deletions, and when we talk about base pairs, we're talking about those four letters, right? We've got and G. A, yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> and yes. so you found this region. There was a base pair deletion. So can you explain what that means? So in an affected dog, you found a difference from right. Healthy so dogs? there's
0: a shortening. Twelve of the letters of the chromosome were deleted, and it was from a region that actually codes. For the protein, right? So this means the actual protein that the DNA codes for is now going to be missing. So every three letters codes for one amino acid. So it's going to miss four of the amino acids that should be in that protein. Okay, it just causes a change in conformation of the protein, doesn't work. So it's a very good potential causative mutation. And oh, right. by the way, we could follow up and we could say, okay, well, what about the dogs that had the haplotype but are corgis and weren't deaf? Right. They don't have the deletion, right? The deletion, it's not the haplotype that's segregating with it. And so so this adds to our confidence that, hey, this is most likely the causal variant that's causing it. And it's more predictive than the linkage tests that were there before. And so now we can directly assay that deletion on the Embark platform and we can deliver results to customers as part of the panel test that's done.
1: Okay, but if you have a Corgi and you do the test, they might have the variant, but they don't have the deletion, so the test doesn't really... So they have the
0: original haplotype that was discovered before and it was being tested for before, but now Embark tests for the actual mutation. So the Corgis will come back as clear because they don't have the mutation. Okay, gotcha. Right.
1: So you've actually narrowed it down even, like... It's very microscopic. Right.
0: You know, that was the goal setting out 10 years ago, but it required improved technologies, improved improved reference genomes, improved sampling, and really this screening. And, you know, readers a lot of times ask, why are you screening for everything? I just want to know what's in my breed. Well, part of it is it really helps the research. Part of it is you don't always 100% know exactly what's in a breed unless you're looking for everything. You know, the research mission in all sorts of different ways, it makes a ton of sense to have this genetic database for your breed. It's really looking at everything that you know about, even if you don't suspect it in the breed.
1: Okay. Which I think leads to another question because you included three other breeds in your published study, right? You included corgis, you included German Shepherd dogs and Labrador retrievers. So was that strictly just to say, oh, we definitely don't see this in these dogs. They aren't known to have this condition, or were there other reasons for including those specific three breeds?
0: So the corgis were included because we knew that they were carrying the risk haplotype but didn't seem to exhibit deafness, so they weren't actually at risk. So this was sort of the test. Like, if we see a mutation on the risk haplotype in Rhodesian Ridgebacks and it does not appear on the risk haplotype in corgis, that's a really good indication that, yeah, we've narrowed down and we figured out what the mutation is. The other breeds were done because they already had high-quality reference genomes. Okay. We knew that they weren't going to have the mutation, so we could compare – The Ridgeback that we knew had the mutation that we generated a high quality reference genome for to these other high quality reference genomes from breeds where we knew it wouldn't have the mutation. And so then you can screen through and you can be like, are there any mutations that are in the Ridgeback in this zip code that aren't in those other ones? You know, and now that we've got the high quality genomes that don't have any gaps in them, that was part of the problem is the zip code had gaps in it before. I see. If the mutation happens to be in a reference genome gap, you're not going to know. What the mutation is, because nothing is going to align properly. Yeah.
1: Yep. Okay. Great. I mean, it's amazing that it can come down to just a tiny like it sounds so trivial, right? Like twelve base pairs. Right. What could that? But obviously, huge impact. Yeah. No. When
0: people say, "Oh, the genome is ninety eight percent complete or ninety nine percent complete," people are like, "Oh, that's great." You know, like every single study, it should work. Well, the problem is that one or two percent of the genome that's not complete. It's usually because there's weird structural variation Mm -hmm. going on. And the reasons why it might be hard to complete the genome are also the reasons why you might get mutations in those regions that underlie diseases. And so we do see that a lot. There's a lot of like deletions and insertions and translocations and inversions in dog genomes that underlie disease conditions. Also, sometimes things that we select for, right? Like large body size and IGF-1, that's a sign insertion. The merle locus that's a sign insertion. It's not just simply, oh, we're changing one letter of the DNA. In this case, we changed 12 letters of the DNA. Blue eyes and Siberian huskies, that's an insertion that was almost 100 kilobases long.
1: Wow. Okay. You are listening to The Good Dog Pod. We are talking about dog genetics and a new research study in Rhodesian Ridgebacks with Dr. Adam Boyko from Embark. We will be right back. Make sure to visit The Good Dog Merch Store, which has tote bags, t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. We hope you can proudly wear this merch not only in support of Good Dog, but in support of dog breeders everywhere, because together we're stronger. Plus, Good Dog Pod listeners get 15% off. Visit shop.gooddog.com today and use the code GDP15. And we are back. We're talking to Dr. Adam Boyko from Embark today about a recently published study that found a genetic relationship between a face pair deletion and deafness in Rhodesian Ridgeback. So we're just getting some more details about this study. So back to the questions. So one thing that I found interesting when I read the publication is that you found that the population of affected dogs were more closely related than unaffected dogs. And maybe that's not surprising because it's a genetic condition, but can you speak to whether or not this is related to something called COI or coefficient of inbreeding and what kind of breeding decisions people should be making based on your findings, if any? Should they take this test into consideration if they're breeding Rhodesian Ridgebacks?
0: Yeah. So recessive conditions in general, you're more likely going to have problems with recessive mutations if you have a high COI, because you're more likely to have two copies of the recessive gene. In this case, there's a genetic test. And so you can use that genetic test to screen ahead of time and say, okay, here is a dam that I would like to breed. And this dam is a carrier. For this deafness. So, I want to be sure that I don't breed her with a sire who is also a carrier. Because if I breed two carriers together, then there's a quarter of the offspring on average will exhibit this deafness.
1: Yeah. So, carrier clear is okay.
0: Carrier clear is fine. You're not going to produce any affected individuals by doing that.
1: Okay. So, there's not like incomplete penetrance or anything like that? No, you don't
0: see any, any evidence? evidence. There's no reports of carriers having hearing problems. I mean, many times breeders sometimes overreact. Oh, great, there's a genetic test available. Now I can see who all my carriers are and make sure I don't breed them. And that can cause other problems down the road because now, sure, you've eliminated that variant that you know about from the breeding pool of your breed, but there's all these other variants that those individuals had. You've lost that genetic diversity and you don't really know what you've lost. And oh, by the way, The individuals that didn't have that variant, maybe they have a variant for something else that you can't test for, and now that's become more common because you've been using those dogs. So I strongly recommend against banishing carriers from mating. It's a very slow process where you want to gradually reduce the frequency, and you just want to use the genetic test to just make sure you're not producing affected offspring. The fact that there is a recessive allele in the population doesn't cause any problems if you can test for it.
1: No, I think that's great. I think people do kind of panic about the carriers and it's important to understand how you use that information, not necessarily just eliminate dogs from your breeding pool for the reasons you mentioned. Right. And the test for this deletion in chromosome 18, to be clear, is currently available through Embark for Rhodesian Ridgevec.
0: That's right. If you buy a test today, you will get a result for this.
1: Fantastic. And
0: so far, we've only seen the mutation in Rhodesian respect, but of course, mm-hmm. we're always monitoring. And if it, you know, sometimes the dog is mixed breeds, so you don't actually know which breeds Good are in point. it. We so you have to look at all, you know, everything that's in there.
1: Good point. I think, yeah, a lot of people are always like, why don't we have a test for X, Y, and Z, right? And I think you've kind of touched on the complications involved in doing this kind of research. It's not just a matter of like, oh, let's do a test, right? There's right. a lot of work. Right. How long does it take to do a study like this?
0: Yeah. I mean, so this one was 10 years in the making. And (laughs) if it wasn't for, you know, all of these breeders testing with Embark, having that data, filling out research surveys, enabling us to hire really great scientists and engineers that can run these studies, you know, it would have been impossible to do. But now we have a team of over two dozen PhDs and DVMs. They're working on a whole bunch of really interesting stuff. And so we hope that we shorten the time cycle that it takes to make these discoveries when things and having the data available and having breeders and owners that are really responsive when we need more DNA or we need more information, bear results or whatever. Yeah. It makes all the difference.
1: Yeah. And this study, you... Worked very closely with the Rhodesian Ridgeback Club of the United States, and you worked with a nonprofit organization called Project Dog. Can you just tell us a little bit about what it was like to work with these groups and how important these collaborations are to advancing canine science?
0: Yeah, I mean, they're hugely important. If we didn't have the support of the breeders and have all of the data and legwork and samples that Project Dog had worked so hard to put together so that we could analyze it on our platform, do additional sequencing of cases we were able to recruit, it just would have languished there until, you know, maybe some academic researcher got funding to study it and they wouldn't have had the genome-wide data from all of these other breeds that were so helpful, you know, and they might not have had the laboratory facilities to do all of this targeted sequencing as well as the long read sequencing that was necessary in order to actually tackle this, as it turned out, specific complicated mutation. Yeah.
1: I'm mean, really great that those collaborations were possible. And My last question is, is there anything new and exciting on the horizon at Embark? And are you recruiting for any studies? Can we solicit any participants for you at this time?
0: I mean, we're recruiting for dilated cardiomyopathy studies. So any dogs that are diagnosed, please go, you know, you can search Embark DCM, and we've got the announcements where you can send the DNA. If you've had your dog Embarked, please fill out our surveys, including our annual health survey that's live on the website. That's how we find out about, oh, we have a lot of dogs that have this condition. We should study this. That makes it easier for our scientists to be able to tackle these things and do follow-up studies. Yeah, lots of interesting stuff on the horizon. I'll definitely keep you informed as new stuff rolls out.
1: Excellent. Yeah. And I think it's really just an amazing time like that anybody with a dog can contribute to science and really advance our understanding of dog health. I mean, that's what we're all about at Good Dog. And I know that's what you're all about at Embark. And what's the best place to find Embark online?
0: EmbarkVet.com.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Boyko, for telling us about this exciting study. If you've got a Rhodesian Ridgeback, you might want to check out the current MBARC panel so you can get your breeding dogs tested. And thanks again for being here. Thanks, Mikkel. You have been tuning into the Good Dog Pod. Don't forget to come back next week. We'll be here with Raina Moss and Megan from ShowSite to talk about how to get involved in dog shows.